Hey, what's up, listeners? Jeff Zimfer. Welcome to this episode of the Mortgage Marketing Radio Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you're new here, appreciate you uh, finding us. Would love to know how you found us. Uh, feel free to connect with me over on Facebook uh, on the in the uh, group for the podcast, which is Mortgage Marketing Radio. I'll link that up in the show notes. Continue the conversation over there. And also, um, if you've been here for a while listening, hey, really, really appreciate you as well. If you're so inclined, wherever you're listening to this podcast, grab the app, tap it, go to the leave a review. And I'd love uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review if you feel so inclined to do so. Thank you so much. Before we get into this week's special guest, of course, I've got a couple of other success stories from the streets. You know that this is the place uh, that we help originators move from solicitor and vendor to partner and peer. When you are seeking agent relationships, conversations, and engagement, how you approach them matters. Too often, originators start and remain in the position of solicitor and vendor instead of entering the conversation with the perception and positioning of a partner and peer. And that's what we do. We help you uh, enter the conversation and the awareness stage with real estate agents in your market as a partner and peer. Why is that relevant for you? Because, well, you want trust to go up, you want resistance to go down, and you want conversations to be facilitated that, that lead to contracts. Conversations equals contracts. And if you can reach agents at scale, right, you're going to get to the results that you want to get to that much more quickly. So part of the game here with real estate agents is one, how you approach them, how you're perceived. But then secondly is, uh, you know, the conversation that you have and what is the value proposition that's presented. That's why at my agent classes, we help originators lead with education so that they do enter the conversation as a partner and peer. And case in point, one quick case study to share with you from one of our uh, favorite members, Carmela. If you're listening, Carmela, shout out to you. Uh, Carmela took a little break from teaching the agent classes that we offer in our platform. Um, and she just posted in our Facebook group that she's back. And the win of the week for her was that while she was away, right, taking some downtime she needed, she got a call from an agent with five agents on her team. The agent asked Carmela, if she could attend the next meeting to do a digital audit for her agents. She said that her team's New Year's resolution is to be more present on social media. And uh, when uh, she reached out to Carmela, she was aware that Carmela was already teaching agent classes and helping agents with their digital presence. By the way, that's one of the things we do in our group is we help equip and empower you to be able to perform these digital audits for real estate agents virtually or in person. And Carmela has obviously proven that building a brand position of leading with education and adding value attracts people to you instead of chasing. How awesome is that? That an agent who has five agents on her team recognizes Carmela as doing that uniquely and different in her market and reaches out to Carmela and says, hey, can you come do this for my team? That's called positioning, folks. So if you want to learn more how we do that and the other tools and resources we've got in our platform at MyGen Classes, you can just go book a call with me, go to mortgagemarketing.pro and grab a time on my calendar and let's see if it's the right fit for you. All right. So this week, my special guest is author Michael Zuber. Have you ever thought about real estate investing? 
I mean, some of you obviously uh, may already be investing in real estate. Some of you may be thinking about it and might want some more information or direction on it. But uh, Michael's got an interesting story and uh, he happened to be in Vegas recently and sat down in person. We had a conversation. Michael's the author, author of the book, One Rental at a Time, The Journey to Financial Independence Through Real Estate. And um, Michael had a 15-year journey to his financial independence. He was working a nine-to-five job uh, as a software sales executive in Silicon Valley and decided he wanted something different, something more. And his goal now is to help 1,000 individuals understand the power of rental properties uh, that he understands it as one rental at a time to build positive cash flow. And uh, we're going to go through Michael's journey and how he became a real estate investor and some of the strategies he uses to you know, be a successful invent, uh, investor, uh, uh, earning uh, some really nice, substantial uh, residual profits on his properties. But we get into all kinds of things, right? The market, the real estate, housing, what's coming. Michael's also the host of a uh, show on YouTube, which you have to check out. Uh, it is called one rental at a time. And I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. Michael has 12,000 videos on his YouTube channel. Pretty amazing. Um, and, he, and he's just a straightforward, candid guy. And I think what's cool about someone like Michael is because he's in the trenches every single day, um, both for himself and his own portfolio, but for other people and his students, um, that he has a really great pulse on a housing, right? And 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 from the from the both a, an investor, a buyer level, right? Just the the average everyday potential homeowner. I think you really really enjoy this conversation. And then if you're so inclined, you know, go check out his book. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. The book is available on Amazon. One rental at a time. And I have read that book, and it's a fantastic book um, about real estate investing. As a matter of fact, it has um, currently 1,355 ratings with a 4.7 uh, rating status on Amazon. So definitely uh, worth go checking out. Check out his podcast as well and just enjoy this episode. Hope you do. Without further ado, let's get into this week's show. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for making time. I know you're a busy guy. you got a lot going on. 50,000 plus YouTube subscribers, a book, one rental at a time. For those who aren't familiar with you, we're obviously going to unpack this. We're going to talk real estate investing. Um, give us the brief backgrounder. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, so I think my story is probably most interested to the audience because it doesn't really start till I'm 30. Mm. Right. So I'm a Gen X, which means I was raised to go to school, get a good job, work hard, climb the corporate ladder, retire at 65, and you know life happens. Uh, I start investing uh, in stocks in 2000, maybe 1999. I turned seven grand into 200 grand. I think I'm living the dream. Yeah. Unfortunately, some of my later investments in Enron and WorldCom did not turn <laughs> out well. And that 200 grand quickly dropped by 80%. Yeah. And I was depressed, right? I was 30 years old. I'd, I'd accomplished something. I was taking care of my family. And now I lost seemingly all of it. In reality, there were still 40 grand left, but it didn't feel that way. Mm. So I remember walking through a physical bookstore and finding the purple book that a lot of my generation found called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And this is still embarrassing to admit after all these years. I have an advanced degree. I have an econ degree. I was an accountant. And I never thought about real estate investing. Nobody in my world or my universe owned rental properties. Didn't even know it was a thing. And um, it changed my life. It set me on a new path because I realized that the stock market in today's ilk, crypto, is all a casino. And I wasn't smart enough or aligned enough or connected enough to, to make hay. I was eventually going to bust out. 
But I knew real estate was physical. I knew it had been around forever. You hear these stats about 90% of millionaires make it in real estate. It was just like, okay, I can figure this out. So uh, unfortunately, I lived in the Bay Area, Mountain View, California specifically. So I wasted a year trying to invest in my backyard. Because after you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is a mind shift book, it's not a how-to book, Mm -hmm. you read every other book. Mm -hmm. And all the other books said, invest in your backyard because it's close. Doesn't work, didn't work for me. Uh, After a year, my wife, Olivia, who is far smarter than I, sat me down and says, we're going to try something different because I'm done looking at houses with you. (laughs) And we pull out a California map. We find Fresno, California. And, um, you know, we we never stopped. We ended up buying a property there about uh, two or three months later, 1818 North Drive East. And, you know, the rest is history. So we've been in one market for almost 20 years. Yeah. What was the year you bought that first 2001, property? December of 2001. 2001. And then I remember from reading your book, which by the way, we'll link it up in the show notes, but everybody should should get a copy of it because I've read a number of real estate investing books. Um, but I think the cool thing about this book is, you know, it, it comes from a, the perspective of, if, if I can say, like a, a real human being. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where it's, it's not like so far up here. Like even Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like you said, it's kind of a mindset book. Yep. But then like, you know, who Robert Kiyosaki is, that whole persona just yeah. seems like completely, yep. you know, you're obviously, dare I say, you know, a regular guy, right? Yeah. All due respect, sure. right? I mean, a guy who's just done a lot of hard work, right, in building his portfolio. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, um, so anyway, I think that's what's really refreshing about your book is it's very relatable because you lay out your journey and your path. Yeah, the good, bad, and the ugly. I mean, right. there are plenty of mistakes discussed in that. And really what one rent, what people don't realize is I've written two books. One rental at a time gets all the press. It's very well received, bestseller, you know, 1,500 reviews, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I wrote that book for myself mm-hmm. because what I realized after retiring suddenly at 45 is I needed a purpose. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I wanted to do was look back. I remember, I can visually remember walking the Borders bookstore in Stevens Creek Boulevard on the corner of San Tomas and finding the purple book. Mm. It changed my, it's that much of an inflection. Mm. So this book, One Rental at a Time, is what happened after that. Mm -hmm. I never found a book about somebody telling me all the good, bad, and the ugly. You got to remember, if my purchase is in 2001, that means I did eight deals up till the crash. I did something really, really cool at the peak that not many people did that saved my ass. (laughs) And then I was buying all the way down to the bottom and I borrowed a million bucks in private money and I have done all this stuff. It's it's a journey. It's not a how-to book. It's uh, here's 15 years in the making. Let's go. Uh, Well, obviously, there's a little bit of how-to sprinkled in there. But um, so back to the timing. That's what was interesting to me as I was reading this uh, was you started in 2001. You bought how many properties before 2008? We had eight houses. So six houses and a duplex. And if I recall the timeline, I guess the big, big picture I got from reading it is it, it seemed to be very fortunate timing. Right. Well, it, well, yeah, you look like a genius in hindsight, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but, but here's the deal, right? So 2005, uh, yeah. you're from Southern California. You yeah. undoubtedly know a guy named Bruce Norris. Sure, yeah. So I attend a Bruce Norris event in 2005, and he has this report called the California Crash. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there in the audience. I think I'm, you know, big shot with eight units, seven-figure net worth now. Mm-hmm. And this guy's telling me my world's going to end. Right. And I don't know who Bruce is I at the time. That. yeah. And I'm like... Hmm, I might want to go look this up, mm-hmm. right? I might want to go look this up. Yeah. So I do what I always do. I dove into the numbers. I validated what he was saying. I validated what he was doing, and I took action. Mm-hmm. So from the day we saw Bruce Norris, I think it was a Wednesday or Thursday. It was one of those you know San Jose you know real estate meetups, mm-hmm. California crash. Less than ten days later, we had Norris Drive listed for sale. Really? And it sold. Uh, and then uh, we sold one. We would always have one going, and we sold all eight 
uh, or six properties, you know, the houses and duplex uh, within about a six or seven month period. And not only sold, we actually 1031. There's mm-hmm. a big difference. Right. So we go from eight units to 80 units. Mm-hmm. And we sold the last house kind of the last month of the peak, if people go back and look at it. And then the world ends, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> damn, that was good timing. <laughs> Bruce, you're right, a genius, right. man. Bruce, yes. you're a genius. So. Do you still follow Bruce? Absolutely. I just went to an event. I spoke at an event here last weekend or the weekend before. Yeah. Uh, and, and I said yes because he was speaking. I wanted Yeah, to I remember him. seeing him. Uh, I didn't go to that. But uh, I'm curious then, what's what's he forecasting right now? Yeah, you had to say, he's, uh, what did he call his latest report? It was uncertain times. Yeah, yeah. Because again, right, he's affordability, he's job loss, he's all those things. And he's like, yeah. not this time. He's basically calling for for five to 10 years of sideways. Sideways? Sideways, really? flat. Mm, interesting. Right, price, we're talking price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no no crash. Okay, well that's that's good because you know obviously a lot of people wanna kinda get some uh, understanding of what, where the market's headed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kinda the general theme we're hearing. We're gonna talk more about that. Let, let's come back into kinda your journey. So mm-hmm. you bought you know the houses you did during that right time. You saw Bruce Norris, he's like, hey, the world's gonna end. You're like, okay, let's sell our 1031. Well, let's validate, right? Okay, you don't just, right. So validate, again, we validate. Sure. We're like, hey, damn, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Affordability. A lot of people didn't believe him, though. No, they didn't. They fought yeah. him. Yeah. Why would you fight him? <laughs> Why don't you just go check for yourself? Right. He's got the data. He's got the data. <laughs> right. Again, he talks about the experience with the home builders and like the yeah. world's going to end. Like, guys, anyways, if you hear something from someone from a noted source who has data, yeah. just go validate right, it. Because exactly. again, he could be reading it wrong. Your, diff- your market might be different. Yeah. He was obviously a SoCal guy. Right. I'm Central Valley. Mm-hmm. But Go get, go, he's got receipts. Go look at the receipts. So uh, I took action very quickly and got, got out of Dodge. That's nice. All right. So you so you took the bulk of those properties in 1031, Correct. right, into uh, multi. Yeah, from 5 to 20 units. So we went from 8 to 80 units in about six months. Then, if I remember from the book, is you tapped into the REO market. Yeah, so then the market rolls over. Yeah. Um, it was the first time we took a pause for about six months because the, it, the, it was like an earthquake went on, mm-hmm. like a yeah. massive oh, earthquake. Yeah. And you know that price, that property we sold Norris Drive for two sixty four goes to three hundred and ultimately goes all the way to seventy five. I mean Fresno got murdered mm. from three hundred to seventy five. Seventy five. Get out. No crazy. Wow. Crazy right. Um, so I I start buying again when single families like Norris Drive start selling for one fifty. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking half off. Mm-hmm. Let's you know dip right. our toe in right. Yeah. So we start buying all the way down. We've started buying again roughly around 150, and the last house we bought was 28 grand. Was there, I'm curious to get technical for a second, sure. um, back to Norris Drive, because uh, I know in the book you referenced talking about um, something about pricing and watching the pricing increases in the mm-hmm. MLS. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, is, are there certain metrics in, in terms of like market timing? This is more so just sure. me asking. Um, what are some of the metrics you look at? Is it days on market? Is it times, you know, how, how, how quick they sell? Yeah, it's really how, how it's called inventory turnover. Uh-huh. I want to know, is inventory turnover accelerating or decreasing? It really is that simple. Like, yeah. So today, for example, it's decreasing. Mm-hmm. Even though we have net new listings, which right. are below last year, we have uh, months of inventory rising. It's, it's the fact that vo- the velocity of the turnover yes. is declining. That's what, those are the things I'm looking for. And of course, as you know, it's very specific to the market you're in. Sure. Uh, I was looking at some data the other day uh, on a website and uh, you know, pulling up kind of the local, uh, what, what is the average, um, how many homes are sold for over asking. Sure. You know, and I'm still seeing in certain markets, a lot of homes sold for over asking. Yeah, so there's usually the devil's in the details. So one of the things that most people would, should do today, and this is, this, is, this is because the Federal Reserve broke the housing market. Mm. The, the housing market's just broken. Yeah. 
So what every investor should be doing, or home buyer, frankly, they should be going and finding what their median home price is for their area. Okay. You should draw that line because mm-hmm. what you're going to very, very quickly see is the the, the metrics below the median mm-hmm. are almost polar opposite above the median. The farther you get away from the median price into luxury, the mm-hmm. slower it's getting right. everywhere. Yes. The farther you get away from median on the low side, the more accelerated. It's almost like having two housing markets, mm. right? You're getting turnover, first-time home buyers and FHA, VA buyers. They're buying the stuff below the median. Luxury stuff is stacking up. So some of these no- numbers get distorted when you have a, a, a balance leaning yeah. towards luxury. Uh, so you think that because it's so active on the lower end of the market, that's what's skewing the um, over ask? Yeah. Well, it, it, if you're looking numerically, yeah. there's yeah, yeah, most likely. And is that because the, the 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 demand is obviously still really weighted on the lower end? Yeah. There's no inventory, yeah. and there's almost no buyers. But the fact that there's any buyers yeah. means you still have a supply demand imbalance. Well, it's funny because I looked at the stats uh, recently for Clark County, and if I remember correctly, I think it was 1,200 homes sold in the month of September, perhaps. Yeah, it was pretty bad, 1,287 or something, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's bad, what, comparatively to normally 3,000 or something? Well, I mean, historically speaking, I follow a guy named Brian Lieber who puts out monthly stats. He's been doing it for 10 years, so yeah. he's got receipts as well. Yeah, you're down like 50%. 50%. Yeah, from 2019, right? So even if you strip out 2020 and 2021, which are astronomical, yeah, yeah. Even go 19, you're down 50%. That's it's just wild that the market's broken. Hmm. Okay. Um, So a lot of the people listening and watching are obviously as mortgage professionals. They're in the market of originating loans and Mm -hmm. working with real estate agents and you know working with potential buyers. Um, any directional or just just if you could say anything to that audience, right, to give them either the truth, right? Yeah. What is the truth? Let's just go there. So again, I'm in. I look every day. I'm making offers almost every day. I'm I'm been in this game for 20 years. Yeah. What I would tell mortgage professionals and by that happenstance, real estate agents, the mm-hmm. same thing is the next four months mm-hmm. are going to be the f- slowest four months of my 22 years of investing. That means if you want to look at it that way, you can get all scared. But you should also look at this like, okay, this is the time to grind. This is the time to get my experience up. This is time to look at other things like the 5% down fourplexes, house hacking, skill mm-hmm. up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because once you get to the bottom and you survive, mm-hmm. it's time to grow and thrive. Yeah. You can't reverse the trend until you get to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Great news. The bottom's four months out. Mm. Let's get to the end of January. Let's get to the brand new spring selling season. Let's get to slightly lower mortgage rates. Let's get to the fact that unemployment doesn't blow up to 12%. It stays at five. Right. The economy's not that bad. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a much better place come spring selling season, which for most markets starts February 1st. So I'm encouraged, but don't get me wrong, dude. The next four months are going to be wicked slow. Yeah. So it's really about survival of the fittest. Oh, it is. It's, it's, get your, it's get your months of life right, right? What, you yeah, know, yeah. Make your expenses right. And it's also about growing. A lot of people in this game don't realize how much you growing and networking you can do for free. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's also like prepare for the oncoming windfall. That's, that's the pent-up demand again, the buyers. Yeah. So, so if we do see rates, which, by the way, to that point, you, I'm, you see a lot of these um, – you know, headlines, if you will, about, you know, so what happens when rates come back down, <laughs> right? Buyers are just going to flood back into the market and prices are going to go up. Sure. Are you agreeing with that? Well, I think there's two things. Let's take the other side first okay. because I, I deal with this every day. So there is a talk track out there that says when rates fall, mm. inventory is going to rise and prices will fall. There's mm. the talk track. Right. That's, yes. one, that's yes. the doomers. That's yeah. what they say. Uh-huh. So I agree with that to a point. Mm-hmm. 
And that the point is how low are rates? If rates fall to 4% again, which again, I'm not calling for, I'm just playing the what if game. Sure. That could happen. Yeah. That would unlock an ungodly amount of demand because essentially, well, again, the Fed broke housing, the move-up buyers out. The move-up buyers like, right. I'm out, yeah. sitting on the sidelines, no not going anywhere. Yeah. But you take rates to four percent, people are like, damn, I got all this equity. Right. I'm gonna go get that house. Mm-hmm. So, if rates go to four percent, mm-hmm. sure, that could be. That, you know, you could theoretically see a supply build so quickly that it impacts prices. Mm-hmm. Now, is it possible? Sure. Is it likely? Come on. Really? 4% again? That was kind of an anomaly. Let's hope we don't go back there. So let's talk about what really happens. I think best case for mortgage rates in 2024, we end the year with a six on it. Okay. Six, 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 seven, six, eight, something mid sixes and above. Mm -hmm. Could it be low sixes? Sure. But what does six and a half percent mortgage rate do? It doesn't unlock supply because people are sitting on twos and threes and fours and fives. So supply doesn't come. Mm Mm-hmm. But it does unlock demand because the consumer is a fickled creature. Why is the consumer locking up today? Because eight is bad. Mm-hmm. Why did they lock up last year? Because seven was bad. Mm-hmm. Why did they lock up uh, in August before that? Because six was bad. But the consumers get used to it. Yeah. And the longer we stay at eight, <laughs> the better seven feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the longer it's, we stay at eight, the better six feels. Yeah, it's just a new normal to adjust to, right? Yeah, so you know, if we stay at eight for the, for the fourth quarter, that's why I'm telling mortgage brokers, all we've got to do is get to February 1st. Mm-hmm. Seven's going to feel amazing. Yeah, that's going to move people. Oh, because they're going to feel like a de- everybody yeah. wants a deal. Right, right. And if you stick it around at mortgage rates for at 8% for three months or four months, and you know, suddenly it gets to seven, I mean, it doesn't even have to go very low sevens. It could go to like seven and a half. You're like, damn. I yeah, yeah, I know. It's funny how, how, how different seven feels than eight. Yeah, know? you know, by the way, it goes to <laughs> seven so and a half. Because it's so close to 10. <laughs> right. I go to seven and a half and I get the seller to kick in half a percent. Right. I'm at 699. Damn, I'm, I'm smiling. I'm yeah. listening to Dixie. Yeah, yeah. So we just got to get through the next four months. Hmm. Um, clarify a little bit, if you don't mind, when you say uh, the Fed broke the housing market. Mm-hmm. Um, just what do you mean by that? So for two years, the Fed kept rates low. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. Right. Uh, a lot of people look at the home buying market, which we, we, we had transactions that were above trend. We did about 6.6 million, trends more like 6 million. So we had two years of an extra 1.2 million yeah. housing transactions. Right. So that makes real estate agents happy. Yeah. Why are mortgage brokers happy? Because you're not only involved in those 6.6, you had all of the refi business. Right. And some of you had multiple refis with the same borrower. So yep. let's not kid ourselves. Yep. And... So the Fed has everybody locked in at sub three, sub four. The, the real estate market for 100 years has been entry level, move up, luxury. Mm-hmm. The Fed has taken the move up buyer and crushed them. Right. They're not selling the entry level home because today, I mean, I ask anybody watching this, you bought your entry level home for $300,000 at 3% mortgage. Your payments, I don't know, make up a number, 1500 mm-hmm. bucks. Mm-hmm. You just had a kid. You just got a better job. You now have to buy a house in a different part of town with an extra bedroom. Mm-hmm. Now instead of three hundred grand, it's three fifty. It's not much more. It's three fifty, right? No big deal. But unfortunately, your rate's not three; it's eight. Yeah. So your payments double. I mean, do the math. Yeah, yeah. Most people look at that like, nope, thanks, I'll commute. Nope, thanks, I'll get bunk beds. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. Hit, the market's broken, and it'll be broken for years. Hmm. That move up buyer's not coming back unless, to our earlier point, rates go sub four. 
Rates go sub four, move up buyers back. They're partying. They're sitting on a bunch of equity. But how likely are rates going sub four? Hmm. Not very. So then if you're talking to a real estate agent, mortgage broker, um, then where's the market of the future? Is it going to be mostly first-time home buyers? And then, you know, the three Ds, right? Divorce, diapers, and Well, I think there's five death. Ds, right? Five right? Ds, yeah. Five Ds, right? There's divorce, <laughs> death, um, <laughs> divorce, diapers, and diplomas. Oh, yeah? Okay. Those five things still yeah. happen. People yeah, yeah. still graduate. People have babies. Right. Get divorced. So again, there will always be a market. Even when rates were 18%, we did 2 million transactions mm-hmm. in 1981. So the market never stops. Yeah, I mean, we're still expecting to do roughly four million this year, Correct. right? And is that is that's kind of our aside from the anomalies of COVID and everything. That's kind of the running average it's been for a while. No, I would say the running well for a while, the average total transactions was far closer to six. Again, that's probably because of the super low rates we've had. No, for, no, that's pre that's no? pre twenty twenty one. Really? That's like nineteen eighteen. Like okay. if you add new homes and existing, yeah. six million is. Oh, adding new homes into yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, homes. great. Separate out the new homes. I always just do. Oh, that. Oh, do existing. Okay, yeah. yeah. Then it's far more like five million. Yeah. Okay, interesting. All right. Um, so I'm sorry, I might have interrupted, but back to the, the, the five D's or, or the, you know, because I'm always about in, in these types of markets, you've got to, like, you can't be a generalist. You have to right. be a specialist. You mm-hmm. have to identify the truly motivated, right. right? And so those are like the five D's. But um, is that, if you were, you know, selling real estate, what market would you be identifying to try and find the truly motivated? So if I was a real estate agent today, I would, you would do, I would do one of two things. Well, the first thing I would probably do, first thing I would do today is I would create an online presence or booklets of all the new home builders in my okay. area. Okay. There was a time where builders weren't paying commissions. Yeah. They are now. And I say this with practical experience. I just bought a million dollar property in, in, in Henderson and I got my agent paid. Mm-hmm. They weren't doing that a couple of years ago. I registered him, he got paid, he didn't have to do anything. He was showing us around, I was looking at all these other existing homes and this was just the best deal. Mm. So I went to Lennar, registered his name, he got paid. So what I would do as a new agent today, and the reason I would do this is builders will bake in um, closing costs. They'll bake in interest rate buy-downs. Yep. How do you get a 5% mortgage rate today? You go to a builder. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. I got a 499 30-year fixed from a builder. Mm-hmm. And my agent got paid. So the first thing I would do today is I would go figure out every home builder that's out there. I would create pictures and relationships and this, that. I'd have every floor plan wired. I would do walkthrough videos. And I would, if, if I had to feed my family today, I'd be selling new homes left, right, and center today. Yeah, because it's pretty much like guaranteed traffic. Guaranteed traffic. You can get rates. Hey, you can buy this existing home for the exact same price at eight, or you can buy this brand new property with a five and a half. Yeah. How do you like me now? And oh, by the way, I, oh, by the way, I can get you a closing cost credit. Oh, by the way, I can get you some flooring credit. Right, right. Come on. Did you, use, did you use the uh, builder's lender? Uh, I did use the building lender, yeah. but they ended up selling the loan. But yeah, sure. I mean, that was a whole deal, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm just thinking about that from the angle of the, the lender watching or listening. Um, makes sense for the realtor, perhaps, depending on the builder, right? Because they're often looking at new lender relationships. Depends sure. how big that is, if it's mm-hmm. a nationwide thing or not. But there's always those opportunities. Your question was realtor, so I answered No, I know, I know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking for like for those lenders that are listening, go, what about me, what right? About the me? lender. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Absolutely. I know a lot of lenders who, who are builder lenders. Yeah. You know? So I would do this again if I had to sell. I like to go where the the where it's easiest to sell. And for whatever reason, there's just this inkling that working with builders is hard or it's not fruitful. And maybe for a long time it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, for sure. It, but again, like the rules change. Right. It's changed. Relationships are always in flux. Yeah. All right. So um, back to this whole Fed broke the, the market. Um, you know, part of the reason why rates were so good is they're buying uh, mortgage-backed securities, yeah. right? But they're done. Yeah. And they're selling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Rolling and, off. I mean, not QT. that. Yeah, right. Uh, 
do you think they should re you know re up that and start buying? Uh, no. Uh, I actually have a controversial uh, view on this. Uh, so the Federal Reserve, going all the way back to Alan Greenspan, did something called the Fed put. Mm. Simply said for the audience out there, basically it allowed Wall Street to lever up bets to crazy levels, get all the upside and none of the downside, because we, the taxpaying public, bailed them out. Sounds like Wall Street. That's, fun. <laughs> That's Wall Street. And that annoys me. I believe yeah. capitalism only works best when the wins are counted and the losses. Mm-hmm. The Fed put made the losses not count. Mm. So I believe one of the things that Powell is trying to do, and he's, he's, he's come out and hinted at it a couple of times, but never was explicit. He's trying to kill the Fed put. Mm. So he's trying to cause pain on Wall Street. Really? Oh, absolutely. He's trying to cause pain on Wall Street. Seems unusual for a politician. Well, he's not a politician. Well, yeah, for yes, but well, still, he's in tight with Wall well, Street. Well, yeah, oh no, there's yeah. well, I mean, that's that's where he came from. But yeah. I, but I, I think Jerome Powell looks at this right now and goes, I can either be Arthur Burns, or I can be Paul Volcker. Mm. And if you don't know who Arthur Burns is, he's the guy pre-Volcker that allowed uh, inflation to take off. Mm. He doesn't want that reputation. Jerome Powell has had a great life. He is worth a gazillion dollars. He yeah. doesn't give an F. Yeah. He's like, when people talk about me in 50 years, I want them to think of me as Volker and not uh, Arthur Burns. That's what he's playing right now. Well, it's funny. I've never heard the name Burns, though, because uh, Volker's always been the one called out as the guy who did yeah, spike he, rates. He, yeah, he, well, he did that to beat inflation. But yeah. Arthur Burns is the guy that let inflation run wild. Hmm. Oh, okay, so yes, yeah, he's the previous. Yeah, previous. the guy had no choice when Volker came in. Yeah, Volker looks yeah. like a hero because he took the other guy's playbook and flipped it upside down. And says, "I'll beat this thing." Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. Um, not to geek out on all that MBS. All right, let's let's pivot um, to investing. Sure. So part of what I do during these uh, these interviews is get a little coaching myself. Ah. Uh-huh. All right. So um, I was thinking about this question when you showed up here today. And you obviously on your YouTube channel, um, which is One Rental at a Time. By the way, that's where to find all his links, One Rental at a Time. Uh, go follow the YouTube channel. Tons of great content. Five videos a day videos going a day. up on YouTube. Insanity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you doing today investment-wise? Let me ask that question first in terms of real estate and buying. So the first thing is I've kind of hinted at it earlier. We just picked up a gorgeous property here. So my, my focus the next three or four months is tricking that out because when you buy a brand new property, there's no backyard. There's all this. All That's that. not a personal for you. That's oh, an investment. No, no. It's a personal okay. property. Yeah, but yeah. it's just, you know, I'm I'm enjoying the fruits of my labor. I sure. just want to be yeah. I'm clear with that. So uh, not doing anything on the investment front for the next three to four months. But my intention is to build up a new community, and I'm going to build up a rental portfolio in, in Vegas, a.k.a. Henderson. Really? Probably starting Q1 of next year. Uh, I'll be looking to do that on residential, so four and below. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may look be looking to buy brand new construction because I have a big portfolio in California. I made 1031 out of, right? 1031 out of 1950s build into 2023 build, probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So there will be a lot of movement. Uh, I will be moving plenty of my equity uh, to Vegas, you know, really? slash Henderson over the next 12 so months. So you're bullish on Vegas? I am, yeah, what I've seen so far, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the numbers, even though you know we've got the whole, well, it's not what it used to be, right? Back to, to, to the, the meltdown in 2008 where it was the, the infrastructure of jobs and the diversity. Oh, it's, it's completely different. I was, I was yeah. here. I mean, I, I, in 2006 when I was selling my homes, Vegas was one of the markets I came to. Why I didn't choose Vegas? I'm like, oh, God, you got like kind of one industry here. Right, right. right? In exactly. 2006, I'm yeah. like, now, out. Now, a whole different thing. Why I didn't choose Texas? Property taxes. You guys, you guys yeah. reset your party tax every year? You're going to kill my cash flow every year? No thanks. Out. Yeah. So that's why we stayed in California. 
Interesting, interesting. Okay. Um, all right, now part two of that question is, you, you kind of answered it in that you're sitting tight. You said earlier, like, like you know, let's kind of just kind of wait it out, interest rate-wise anyways, until mm-hmm. like March yep. timeframe. So if somebody's sitting on cash right now mm-hmm. um, and they're looking at, right, they've read your book, they're like, okay, man, I get it, one rental at a time, yep. slow growth is fast growth, yeah. right? Um, you're sitting on cash. What do you suggest? Most people are excited or buzzing about real estate investing and they've never done the work. Mm-hmm. So what does do the work mean? I think everybody needs to define a buy box. Mm-hmm. All right, what's a buy box? So a buy box is a set of criteria that produces an active list of between 20 and 40 properties. Okay. So it's very finite, it's very mm-hmm. constrained. Mm-hmm. And why 20 or 40? I say this as someone who worked a full-time job, had a growing family, and only had 20 minutes a day. <laughs> In 20 minutes, you can generally go through a list of 20 to 40 properties. Yeah. So what you should be doing is setting criteria, looking at that criteria every day for 90 days and tracking what changes. What gets sold? What comes back? What has a price drop? What do they rent for? What's the property tax? What are insurance? Because at the end of the 90 days, the only thing that matters is what is an average deal in my buy box. Mm. Most people have no idea they can answer that question. They're like, they go online, they look at three yellow houses and they buy the blue house. Well, why'd you buy the blue house? Well, I, mean, I don't understand, right? I only wanna buy the best deal. And I can't tell you what the best deal is until I know average. Mm. So most people are not focused enough. Most people don't have the daily discipline. Most people are all over the place. And the answer is right in front of you. How do you learn a language? One day at a time. How do you learn to play an instrument? One day at a time. How do you learn a new sport? One day at a time and practice. Mm. So real estate investing is a skill. Let's go learn the skill. And oh, by the way, if you're out there and you have money, there's no cutting the line. I can't tell you how many people say, no, no, you don't understand. I got 100 grand, 500 grand, right. a million bucks. Yeah. What the fuck? You want to lose that faster? I mean, what are you doing? I mean, really? Is that, is that what we're, it's a race to lose money now? Right. No, no jumping the line, no cutting the line. So you got to do the work. You got to learn average. So again, back to the earlier point about the next four months being slow. Awesome. Hmm. Take the next four months, get a buy box, learn it, network, figure it out. You know, I will mm-hmm. tell people I, you know, if I do buy something between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which I've done almost every year, it'll be a flip because I find a distressed property on the MLS and I buy it for 30 or 40% off. Mm. I did it twice last year. I'll probably do it again this year. But how do I find them? I look every day, 6.30 a.m. every day. Like, like Where are you looking? Where do you log on to? I, I use realtor.com. I don't have do. any fancy access. Yeah. I bought, my, I wrote my whole book on buying out of the MLS. Right. No door do, knocking. Do you have like a good agent or something locally that hunts for you? Or? Uh, well, yeah. I have lots of agents that try to hunt for me, lots yeah. of people in my network. Yeah. Um, by now, I usually know the agent or know somebody in the brokerage. Right. I'm calling the listing agent yeah. a lot. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I wrote down something that you mentioned in your book, uh, yield versus cash flow. Oh, yeah. Because what I'm trying to think as you're saying buy box and things like that mm-hmm. is give people a sense of how do you know when it's a good buy? There you go. So one of the things you should, you, there's barely three factors, and I give this spreadsheet away. It's in the book, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to know how much cash comes out of your pocket. That's typically down payment, closing cost, make ready. Mm-hmm. So that's the denominator, AKA the bottom number. Mm-hmm. The top number is expected yearly cash flow, which is just rent minus all your expenses, right, mm-hmm. for the year. That produces a, a percentage, mm-hmm. okay? So I call it yield. Some people call it cash on cash, return on capital, whatever you wanna call it, I don't care. But how hard is my money working? Mm-hmm. When you do this 90-day exercise, what you'll find is you'll figure out the average, right? My average is 6.1%, just mm-hmm. making it up. Mm-hmm. A good deal, in my opinion, is mm-hmm. 1.5% higher than average. So in that case, it would be 7.6. A great deal is 1.5% higher than that. 
So it would be 9.1. Mm-hmm. It is really that simple. Okay. Today, and I'm being very clear because we don't, I have no idea what's coming next year. Yeah. We are only doing great deals. Mm-hmm. So you are only doing deals 3% higher cash on cash than an average deal after you've done the work, hmm. right? A minimum of 3% higher. That's okay. a great deal. Okay. And um, well, we're obviously in Vegas and I don't know, you, you, obviously Fresno's kind of your, mm-hmm. your, where you, you know, cut your teeth a lot. Sure. Uh, to what degree do you think those opp- opportunities exist today? Really hard today. Yeah. The only way to get there today, you can do them either with a distressed seller because they have a time problem. Mm-hmm. Or better yet, and again, folks, go look up Robert G. Allen. He wrote a book in the 80s. I just bought uh, version one of, in 1980. <laughs> Did you really? Off of Amazon. Yeah, it should be showing up today or tomorrow. So it's it's 40 years old. It's 45 yeah, yeah. years old, right? Yeah. 1980, he wrote this. And the only way you got deals done were creative financing. Right. And that doesn't mean sub two, innovation, and all these other things. This means no, have the seller take a second. Mm. We did 2 million transactions when rates were 18% because sellers were taking seconds. They didn't have an option. So you can take a second and you can say, hey, no payments for five years. You could do that. You could do it, hey, you'll take a second, but at 1% or 2%, right? Look up imputed interest and all of that, which I'm sure you guys know about. But you can do, you can get creative. If you can find a seller with equity that needs to move, structure a deal. Um, one of the things that I'm doing now is something called a 50-40-10. This is for your like lenders out there. Mm-hmm. If you have a 90% CLTV, which is combined loan to value, mm-hmm. you're in the catbird seat. I would build content around 90% CLTV all day long. What you do in this situation, you find a seller with you know half percent, 50% equity, you go, you know what? I'm gonna come in at 50% purchase, right, with a first mortgage. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have you take back 40% second, okay. and then I'm gonna bring 10% in. So if you do this right, and you structure the 40% second at a below market interest rate, you can actually get 90% leverage with a five handle on the combined interest rate. Right, so um, you just got to be more creative, man. You got to work. <laughs> well, yeah, and understand the different financing options because most, most, too many people are vanilla, right? You know, they stick to just what are the programs yeah. of that I look at on my sheet every day, and, and that's what I have to sell. Yeah. Which reminded me earlier, you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, what is it, the new five uh, percent down yeah, on fourplexes four plexes and triplexes, yeah. game changing. Yeah, game changing. Now, of course, cash flow is the issue with that, right? Well, again, if you're going to house hack it, it's not. Okay, yeah. Yeah, if you're so, this is only for owner ox. It's right. not investment. Right. 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 So only owner ox. So again, if I had to do one thing in my life over again, I would have bought a fourplex when I was 20 years old. Yeah, yeah, house hacked. House hacked in the Bay Area. You know what that thing be worth today? I oh, know. Goodness. Right. I'm that old. You wouldn't be here. You'd be like. Yeah, I'd be. I'd be, I'd be <laughs> like my hopscotch to my house in the you know Miami Beach or something. Uh, but yeah, fourplex. I if again, if I was in the mortgage business, I would go figure that out. Really. And I would do content because again, basically the story is, live for free. Mm-hmm. It, it's not even cash flow. Mm. But it really is cash flow. So let's just take some real numbers. Let's say your rent is fifteen hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Just, just it's kind yep, of average, yep, right? Yep. Oh, by the way, I could find a fourplex where I could buy it for eight hundred grand. Mm-hmm. The mortgage after I put five percent down, which is forty grand, right? Five percent of eight hundred mm-hmm. grand is going to be, I don't know, fifty two hundred bucks or mm-hmm. something. You're gonna get you're gonna get rent from the other three units, which FHA is gonna take seventy five percent of, so it's gonna help pay that. You're gonna have your job, you're gonna get approved for the loan, so that's cool. But you're gonna take your fifteen hundred bucks a month you were paying in rent, and maybe now you're gonna pay six hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And you're the owner of an asset. Yeah, plus you get appreciation. And, and you get appreciation yeah. and all of that. And what do you do with the other nine hundred? You start stacking. Mm-hmm. And here, what I would really do again is I would buy a fourplex every eighteen months. Probably, I would probably own 16 units and I could be done. 
I could be done. Uh, never done a fourplex, so maybe you, you probably know in terms of qualifying, right? Is that sure. going to be based on the uh, borrower versus it's it'll not? Be, it'll be yeah. on both, right? So in the loan, and people yeah. should research this because it's still coming out. I think it's four weeks away. Yeah. You're going to get credit for 75% of rents okay. and right. then your income. Because okay. you're going to be living oh, good. in one So year. then they'll use some of the uh, the rental income to support that. Yeah, 75%. Correct. Okay. All right, cool. Well, that's good. That's a lot easier. That's almost like, you know, like I know you're into commercial as well, mm-hmm. using the property. Correct. Absolutely. Hmm. Exactly right. Speaking of commercial, let's uh, quickly transition there. Um, I've heard you, if, if I'm correct, uh, mm-hmm. I'll characterize it like this, maybe be, be um, bearish on commercial. Oh, well, I don't <laughs> know. It depends on if you own a bunch of commercial <laughs> and you're in some bridge debt and, and uh, you're an LP, you're probably in bad shape. Yeah. Uh, I happen to have been warning people for a year and a half to avoid that stuff. So I'm sitting pretty again. And my intention in about 18 months is to 1031 out of residential into mm. multifamily mm. because the level of distress that coming is ungodly. Jeff, you, you remember the mortgage crisis, right? Yeah, what people call it. the Great Recession. Right? Yeah, we lived it. Yeah. What people don't realize, you will, the pain of 07, 08, and 09 was mm. created in 05. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The vintage of 05 mortgages was particularly atrocious. Yeah. But we didn't see it blow up until 07. Yeah. And then those didn't get foreclosed because of the timeline until like 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. Right? We talk like 9 and 10 was all this. It was 05. Mm-hmm. So commercial, 2020, 21 are going to be some of the worst vintages for commercial deals. Just like residential, they have two-year, three-year IOs. Mm-hmm. They have unrealistic assumptions. They have... Brand new operators who are nothing but Excel jockeys. They couldn't operate a building to save their lives. And this stuff's going to blow up in spectacular fashion. And we're seeing some headlines already, but that's nothing. Yeah. Right? We saw that 3,200 units in Houston that lit $100 million on fire in 10 months. We just saw a building in San Francisco that sold for 550 549 in 18, retraded 240 uh-huh. The pain's just starting. And uh, I look forward to I, Again, I'm going to do what's in the book. I'm going to sell a house. And I'm going to 1031 into a multifamily, but that's probably 2025. We're like in the very first inning of this. What's what's the hangover that's caused this commercial uh, situation? Is that related to COVID and everybody working remotely? It's or? the bad debt structure. It's the bad we debt got structure. stupid. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, what? Like, Shocker. let's talk about 05 again. Well, in residential, my belief is 50, or the research I've done is 51% of the loans originated in 2005 were arms of some mm-hmm. type. Yeah, yeah. 13 or 14 percent was particularly atrocious pick a payment nonsense. Mm-hmm. Remember mm-hmm. those? Oh, yeah. World savings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Countrywide, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so what did we do in uh, commercial recently? We got bridge debt, which means short, like uber short term, mm-hmm. one and two year IO, because again, you couldn't pay. You couldn't make the deals work full payment. Right. Let's only do interest only. <laughs> oh, come on. Let's Ten do, year IO, baby. Yeah, baby, let's go. <laughs> then, oh, by the way, you know what? I know rents have gone up historically 1.5% a year. Let's assume five. If we got five last year, let's do five again. And oh, by the way, let's get this no-name operator who's got a few tech friends with some money and yeah. give him a fully leveraged 80% LT. I mean, we did some stupid things. Right, right. We just got to pay the price. And, and by the way, the cake's in the oven. You can't change it. Um, there are going to be billions of dollars lost in LP capital. Mm. Uh, but again, I'm you know capitalism is mm-hmm. what it is, and I'll be around the corner to pick up the pieces. So what's the future for commercial? You know, get, you got a, a crystal ball there. It's like, you know, with this whole, now we're hearing people are being called back to the offices. So, you know, remember the whole vision of oh, like no. all these vacant uh, office complexes? Yeah, I think so. If we just talk commercial office, yeah, um, 
I think the doom loop is still there in some cities. Like San Francisco is a particular China. A lot of issues going on there. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of government yeah. issues that are doing that. But generally speaking, in most you know downtown areas, I think the death of office is greatly exaggerated. Yeah, I certainly think there will be some conversion. I just think I think for a long time there's been what I'll call C-class office that was just out of dated, mm-hmm. uh, that didn't really make sense for the technology worker of today. Yeah, that stuff's going to turn into storage, yep. be torn down or converted somehow. Hmm. But hmm. the death of office um, hmm. you know, is, is, is overhyped. Is overhyped. Okay. I want to flip to the book just so I get it right here before uh, we run out of time. Oh, Are no. you still doing uh, uh, Pride of Ownership rentals? Oh, I love that you asked that. You really <laughs> did read the book. Sometimes people get my book and they didn't really read it. Oh, no, it. man. These guys know. I prep. <laughs> I, I greatly appreciate that. So, yeah. Um, so let's tell what is a pride of ownership yeah. rental. So again, I suddenly retire in 2018 out of nowhere. I'm bored off my ass. I write a book. I got to find something to do. So I find a particular passion buying what I call slumlord pop properties. Just disgusting. By the way, when I read that, I got this vision of like, you know, Joe Pesci oh. back in that movie, whatever oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was uh, I buy some really wrecked stuff, <laughs> really bad. Uh, I bought one that should have been torn down and, and we reinvigorate it. Yeah. And for 2018, 19, and I think Q1 of 2020, we bought and sold 56 homes, wow. flipped them all. Hmm. And I sold them to landlords. That's just, I wanted to help landlords get started. Today, that's called turnkey. I had mm. no idea what that stuff was called. Mm. I was just bored off my ass. Um, but I haven't been able to buy one that made sense since uh, early 2021. So no, I haven't done one in two years, I don't think. Got it. So are you then also, if that's the same thing in your book, you know, you, know, you have this friends and family kind of pool, yeah. right? Is that the same thing? Same thing, yeah, yeah. friends and okay. family. So I, I basically have... So again, I'm about exceeding expectations. Yeah. So one of the things I've been able to do because I have a track record is I have friends and family that are willing to loan me millions yeah, of dollars. Sure. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, so what I did for them is um, I did what was called a six and twenty. Mm. So I would I would borrow the entire purchase price, hundred right. grand. Right. I would fund the repairs. Mm-hmm. Now I could have borrowed everything, but that's not how I roll. Mm-hmm. I want to have my skin in the game first. Right. So I would pay them 6% interest only every month, so just like a credit card or your mortgage payment. And then what I would do is when the property sold, I would give them 20% of the profit. Mm-hmm. So uh, every deal I was in and out in six months, uh, all of my operators earned about 22 or 23% on blended average on their money when you annualized it. Right. I happened to make 85 or 90% of my money because I was in for a lot sure. less, yeah. right? right. Uh, but yeah, we did that, but I haven't been able to use that money in you three years. You just don't find those opportunities I, right and now. I'm not really looking that hard, let's okay. be clear. Right. But yeah. Um, so uh, earlier in your book, you know, you were kind of like anti-flipping, right? Mm-hmm. But so is that situational or what's your take on that now? If you have a demanding job that brought you to three different continents in a week, <laughs> you have a growing family, you have one day off a week, which for me is Saturday, yeah. back when I was doing this, uh, flipping is nearly impossible. Right. Yeah, don't get distracted. Too much risk. Too many things go sideways. Don't waste the brain cycle. Buy and hold. Just move on. Mm-hmm. But if you happen to be bored and you happen to have a network and you happen to have contractors that you know, trust, and respect, flipping's a great business. I did it 56 times in like, I don't know, 30 months. Mm. So it can be an amazing thing, mm. but it's a lot harder than these shows make it look. I was just going to say, right? Yeah, but you have to know what you're doing. You need to have a team that you trust. Yeah, yeah. I understand the math. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of ugly stuff you don't see on HGTV, no, right? No. The huge losses. Absolutely right. And especially in today's market, like some of your uh, videos on YouTube, so you've had some guests talking about that. Oh, yeah, $100,000 losses. Not uncommon. Yeah. 
which is more important to, to get with somebody who you can trust with their information, mm -hmm. which by the way, perfect segue to the <laughs> book, right? How you like that, huh? Nicely done. <laughs> so, hey, if you haven't yet been inspired to get a copy of this book, please do so one rental at a time. Amazon or? Yeah, Amazon. Yeah. yeah. It's also on Audible. Right. Or Audible or go right to the website, onerentalatatime.com, plus the YouTube channel, Instagram, all the good stuff. Hey, man, this has been Thank awesome. You. Appreciate it very, very much. Yeah. Listeners, you know what to do. Get the stuff we talked about. If you like this episode, leave us a review and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Hey guys, what's up? Real quick, uh, you've heard about the Mortgage Marketing Pro membership before, and I just want to quickly remind you if that you're in a place in your business where you simply need more purchase loans, you need to fill your pipeline with purchase business, let's just face it. Agents are still a solid pillar of business and sources of purchase business for you. Well, good news. Our Mortgage Marketing Pro membership helps loan officers like you close more loans without the hassle of chasing agents or cold calling. Done for you agent classes, expert training videos, a marketing automation platform that automates the entire process for you, everything you need to build your personal brand in your local market, attract and convert agents into referral partners, plus done for you proven marketing materials and plug and play content to make promoting your class, getting agents butts and seats, partnering with affiliates real easy. But that's not all. You'll also get access to our weekly mastermind calls with top LOs, authors, speakers, and coaches to learn the best strategies to grow your business right now in today's market. And as an extra bonus for a limited time, for all new members, you'll get access to a database of 200 agents in your local market that have closed anywhere to, from eight to 50 transactions in the last 12 months. And we'll provide that list uploaded into our platform for you so you can get off to a fast start in reaching actually productive agents. So what are you waiting for? You can check out more at mortgagemarketing.pro, see more of the success stories there. And if you feel compelled to do so, book a call. We'll have a chat. We'll see if it's a fit. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your mortgage business to the next level right now. Head over to mortgagemarketing.pro.